Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, John Feldhaus. On behalf of Verity Talk, thank you so much for listening to Epic Gnosis. This is Epic Gnosis today, or tonight, or whenever you're watching. Uh, I recorded earlier, and then there wasn't any audio. So if you were one of the viewers watching it earlier, uh, sorry. I took it down really quick because I was like, ooh, darn it. Oh, well. But um, anyway... Thanks again for tuning in, listening, watching, whatever you're doing today. Um, today, I'm going to keep talking about revivals, specifically in America, but we're going to start getting into revivals that did a lot more than just affect our nation. There, there's going to be more evident effects on other nations that occur as we start seeing the the revivals that start hitting America and causing the waves to just go out into the world. So, um, today we're going to be talking about the prayer revival of 1857, or otherwise known as the businessman's prayer revival. And, um, really cool one starting right before the civil war in America. So you can imagine the effect that it had on the civil war and, um, just all the things that went along with the Civil War, things that happened. So, uh, but before I get into that, I'm going to get into the Epic Gnosis Word of the Day. Stay tuned. All right, Epic Gnosis Word of the Day. Today, I'm going to be pulling from the New Testament a Greek word called Oksano. I'm going to get the uh, pronunciation guy to pronounce the word for us properly. Strong's G, 837. Auxano. 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 So, Auxano is a Greek word which means to cause to grow or augment, to increase, become greater, to grow and increase. And this growing and increase is of plants, of infants, of a multitude of people, and also in reference to the inward Christian growth as far as usage in the Bible is concerned. Now, this word oxano is not a, um, excuse me, is not just any word. This is a word used in some very key scriptures that talk about Christian growth. And two of them that I'm going to point out, um, that point out kind of the, the importance uh, these are important things to what we're discussing today. And uh, the two scriptures that I'm going to point to are 1 Corinthians 3.6 and Ephesians 2.21. And we'll throw in Ephesians 4.15 as well. Ephesians 2, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 3.6 is the Apostle Paul talking about, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Or other translations might say, God caused it to grow. So, there are those who had their part in what God was doing in someone's lives, life, uh, in what God was doing in a community. They had their part in what God wanted to do in a community, but ultimately, it was God himself who caused the increase. And then, second, no second, I just said second Corinthians. Ephesians 2.21 says, In whom, that is in Jesus, all the building fitly framed together groweth 
that's that word oxana right there, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. I'm reading out of the King James Version if you're wondering what the end, what the weird words are. It's groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Uh, Ephesians 4.15 also says, but speaking the truth in love, uh, speak the truth in love that you may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So these are very important scriptures to, um, to the body of Christ, namely about the things, about the unity of the body of Christ. And unity, according to this scripture, and growth do not come by any other means except by the power of the Holy Ghost, by by God himself causing it to grow. Now, I wanted to address some things that were discussed about the Asbury revival. First of all, I, I don't see how you could be against what was going on at the Asbury revival. I think... Uh, there were people concerned that the kids were going to like lose like steam or something and they were going to get pressured to go on. But I said last week that, hey, you know what? They got, they got great instructors there who will be able to help them, guide them through the process, and there's no pressure at all to keep it going. And in fact, they, they cut off the meetings there uh, after two weeks. So, but no one, was, no one was that bummed about it. In fact, there's, there's still accounts and there's still people... Um, reporting their own revivals breaking out in their own churches. This, um, and they aren't copycats. They're just things that they were inspired, and they were like, we want to press into God for this. And so they did. And then there are people I, I saw at Victory Church, they started a meeting on Saturday night, and they kept it going. I think it was 86 hours. I just saw this on YouTube. An 86-hour-long meeting. That's, that's half the week. So uh, that's pretty cool. To, uh, to keep that going like that. Other churches had longer prayer meetings than they normally do. Some, you know, some places you go to the, the church and they only meet there for maybe like an hour or an hour and a half. And it's with music and a short message and then, you know, prayer at the end. But I've been seeing some churches do two, three-hour prayer meetings, which is out of the norm for them. So this, uh, I believe this Asbury Revival is causing people to grow in their faith. It's causing people to do things that are outside of their normal uh, routine, out of their comfort zones. So if anything, this Asbury revival is just the start. It's the spark of something new. And um, and it's in many ways um, similar to this revival that we're talking about today, the prayer revival of 1857. So this started in New York City at the New York the Dutch Reformed um, Church. Let me, I had trouble with this last time. I, I forgot the name of it, but it's, um, so a little, yeah, the North Dutch Reformed Church in Lower Manhattan was the place where this first started by a man uh, named, um, whoa, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Jeremiah Lampfear, Lampfear. I can't pronounce his name either for some reason. But anyway, um, he started these prayer meetings. Now, a little background for the setting here. 1857, of course, we know it's um, a few years before the Civil War starts. And then we have, actually, it's very interesting how uh, a lot of different events coincided with the start of this prayer move. So 
a few years prior in 1849 in California, we had the gold rush. So we had a big boom. Prosperity was, it was in America and um, there's a lot of stockpiles of, of resources from that and people were feeling really confident about the economy and uh, so there were all these reserves that were in place um, with all these different resources that they really depended on their wealth and how well they kind of had all their eggs in one basket, so to speak, for all the for these few little things that were doing well in the economy. And they're like, if you just invest in this, then that'll keep growing the economy. But then once these things started to dwindle and um, these things, the uh, I think there were like different wheat crops, there was different... Um, investments that were being made that were starting to not cash out as much. Well, the banks freaked out. So, um, so anyway, back to the scene. Um, we're here at, we're here in, uh, Manhattan. Meanwhile, while this, this, um, this recession is just about to start, um, a few years prior and continuously, there has been a transformation going on in New York. Now, New York, is, you know, of course, a big booming city where a lot of people come in from other nations. A lot of immigration is occurring. A lot of migrants from uh, Europe and um, you have place people from places like Ireland. Um, and then and they're all settling in New York City here. And it's the start of the Industrial Revolution in America. So a lot of workers were coming to um, work their way through into a better life in America. And um, now you had this more industrialized area that New York became, which is where the uh, which is where the North Dutch Reformed Church was located. There used to be a ton of churches in this city area, but a lot of them ended up moving up northward because many of the people that used to live in this area moved away from the industrialized area, not wanting to be so close to the action. Um, it was more of the industrial area was more, more or less, um, it became not a slum, but just not as nice of a place to live. So people didn't really want to live there anymore. This kind of starts one of the, um, it kind of what we see in cities today. There's places where you go and you work in the city and then there's the place where everybody lives. There's residential areas that people go to live. So this kind of started that pattern of layouts in cities. Now everybody was moving uptown and um, usually, and now nowadays usually people say when they live in the nice area of the, of the city, they say they live uptown. So this kind of started there too. But um, so all these churches started moving uptown with all of the residents that were moving uptown as well. So you had less churches in this area. Um, one of the only ones that stayed was this church, the North Dutch Reformed Church. Now, Jeremiah Lampier, Lampier, that's his name, Lampier, it's not Lamp. <laughs> but anyway, um, he, uh, he was influenced and was, and was born again in a Charles Finney meeting. Charles Finney, at the time that, he's, that uh, Lamp, Lampier starts his prayer meeting, is still alive. And, um, but also Lampier is, you know, younger, and he's a layperson, meaning he's not somebody who's a um, he's not clergy. He's not somebody who, he's not a pastor or anything like that. He's just somebody who's a businessman who loves and cares for people. And he has a heart for people and does, you know, semi-missionary work here 
in the New York area, and he had a heart for these businessmen and for workers that were here in this industrial area where they didn't have hardly any churches that they could go to while they were at work. And many, you know, he had a heart for those who still wanted to, you know, uphold, you know, religious um, practices like praying and worship and having that time of fellowship with God during the day, but they couldn't have it because, you know, their church that they may go to is closer to where they live uptown. So, um, Jeremiah Lampier starts this prayer meeting. He starts it, uh, the first week he starts this is September 23rd, 1857. And I'll talk about why that date is kind of, it's kind of cool too. It's, there's a significance to the time that this starts. Um, of course, the time that we already talked about was the, uh, recession that was about to hit. Um, but he starts his prayer meeting September 23rd, 1857, and uh, at first, very small. Only six people come. He was handing out pamphlets and flyers and stuff, and I know what that's like, handing out flyers and, and being like, where's everyone at? But he, he got six people to come, um, and they came like towards the second half of his meeting, too. So they already 30 minutes had gone by. There's 30 minutes left, but it wasn't nothing. And he was, you know, thanking God for that. He's like, yes, good. Um, second meeting comes by, and he had 20 people. And then the third, he had 40 people come. Now, the the recession of 1857 starts that third week that he has his meetings. So, and... Now, keep in mind, he, he's not starting these meetings based on seeing anything in the economic sphere of things. He's not saying, like, oh, there's going to be a recession and people need to come to this meeting so that they can have comfort or whatever. And he's not thinking along the lines of a gimmick. He's thinking along the lines of, this is what people need. And he was so structured and thinking, this is what people need, not, not spur of the moment and not... Uh, not preemptively, but just thinking, he's thinking along the lines of a businessman. He's thinking, these guys have only an hour to do, you know, any kind of prayer or religious um, devotion. So I'm starting this out at 12 o'clock till one o'clock. They can come in and out as they like. Um, And he started, every prayer meeting was like this. He starts with a hymn. Then he read a scripture. Then he opened up the floor for prayer requests. And everyone had uh, up to five minutes to be able to lay out their prayer request. Um, Some people just kind of gave, you know, maybe a testimony or something like that. But it starts out with just a prayer request. Five minutes of, you know, somebody talking about what they needed prayer for. And um, so this was this, this, it was this tight structure the whole way. And then they end with a a hymn as well. And then they leave. Uh, They had this structure for the whole time they were doing these meetings. And these first three times, you know, they did that, but then it grew. It blew up, and they ended up having anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 people show up at this church. And uh, when they were first meeting, they're meeting on the third floor of the church in a small room there. And what happens is he, um, you know, of course, he has to end up finding a, um, a bigger part of that church to meet in. They meet in the sanctuary, but it's still too small. It's still too many people are coming. And um, um, and it not only blows up here, there's all these people standing outside of the 
of the sanctuary and stuff trying to get in and trying to see what's going on. Um, he also has, um, people end up having these meetings outside. They end up having these meetings out in different places, different churches, different buildings, uh, different cities. This caught like wildfire and went all over the nation. Um, and I believe the account that starts uh, getting this thing really going was there were people, somebody was praying, had a prayer request for a friend of theirs or like their son or something. She had a prayer request to have their son come to the Lord. And um, and somebody in there, after that prayer request, somebody raises their hand and says, well, I, I believe that I'm that person. And they realized that they had come and it wasn't a coincidence they were there. And then somebody else raises their hand and says, no, I'm that person. And um, it was the Holy Ghost convicting them of their need for Christ. And it ends up bringing them to the Lord. And all these other people have the same reaction, have very similar reactions to what's going on. And God's just moving on people's hearts to come to him and to repent and to pray and to seek him for wisdom and guidance. And, um, And so this was... This was how this just blew up and exploded into different areas. Now, um, yeah, now, like I said, this started, I it started two weeks before the recession started. And to me, that's not just a coincidence. That screams God planning it. And that's why I, I wanted to bring up that word. God causes something to grow. God causes something to start. Um, in different, and you just see that all across the board, um, in different scriptures. In Acts, it uses that that term. When something grows, it ends up being God that causes it to grow. It's not just somebody having a business plan or somebody having a marketing strategy in order to get something to grow. It wasn't Jeremiah Lampier's like structure that caused it to grow either. It, even though that was you know what God had for him to set up, it was. It was God, it was him putting down the plants, the people that came interested in it, but then God caused the hunger to just ignite in people's hearts and come to the meeting. And um, it's an amazing story. Now, this caused this revival to spread across the nation for about a year, but what um, what I found out in studying this a little bit more is this happened actually in eight other countries, and I don't have a list of them on on me right now, but it was in places like South Africa, in Tasmania, which is, you know, it's now part of Australia, uh, Transylvania in um, modern-day Hungary and Romania, and um, Ireland. These are just four places. South Africa. I, ple- I believe I said it's South Africa already, but there's a couple of other nations where this occurred. Um, a really cool one that happened in South Africa was um, a tribe of Zulus, were um, that were reached with the gospel because there was a certain situation in South Africa where you know they they have now in in Africa they have a long standing history of spiritualism where they believe you know in the spirit realm in the Western world we have the opposite problem where people tend to believe in the atheistic mindset of being more secular and like not everything is so spiritual well these guys they believe everything was spiritual. And they they spiritualized everything, and then they'd have people who would prophesy things that weren't right, and um, you know people that were supposed prophets, but they weren't God's prophets, and they were people prophesying things that would happen to um, the the tribes because you know 
a lot of them didn't like the fact that, you know, white people were there, you know, in their space and they're trying to get them to leave. And these prophets would like prophesy stuff. Um, like if you would do all this stuff God's not pleased with these people, if you'd like, if you, uh, you know, burn your crops and do these crazy things, then God's going to drive the British into the sea and so on and so forth. Well, they, they end up doing that and they end up starving and they end up, um, um, yeah, just having terrible conditions because of that. That was not, that was not a word from God. Uh, so, but then there are missionaries. So of course these, uh, Zulu tribe people try to, you know, get help from the government. Well, uh, when you try to get help from the government, the government is not very quick to act. So, of course, they ran into that obstacle trying to get help. But the missionaries that were there amongst them were really quick to go get help. They were quick to give them food and supplies and medical attention, and they were there for them. And they were able to preach the gospel through this situation. Um, It was around this time, around the end of September, where they had all these missionaries acting uh, on behalf of God and going and preaching the gospel to this uh, tribe of Zulu. So, very cool. Uh, One of these cool stories, but this wasn't an isolated case. These were things happening all over the world, all around this same date, which was um, September 23rd, 1857. Um, Now, the date is significant because in the Hebrew calendar... Um, the calendar that really God set up for his people, there is a festival called the Feast of Trumpets. Um, And what's important about that is there was, so you had, of course, Passover. And we all know Passover is um, Moses and the Israelites coming out of Egypt, having the blood on the door, and they get out, and they get out of Egypt. That's what it's called Passover. You or it's called Passover because the, the angel of death would pass over their houses and would not go in and hurt the firstborn um, if you had blood on the doorpost of your house. Um, that was Passover for them, and that was very specifically for the Jews, and it was a Jew where um, Hebrews, you know, celebrated this and were blessed, and it was very exclusive. Um, they have another festival, the Pentecost, which we celebrate also because, uh, you know, I mean, if you're a Pentecostal Christian, then you definitely know what Pentecost is. Um, uh, let's see, what's the other thing? And that was like a harvest time. Now, the Feast of Trumpets was something where the blessing was spoken over not just the Jews, but it was a way to bless the Gentiles that were amongst them as, as well. It was an inclusive, uh, it was an inclusive ceremony and celebration. And so this this is significant because. What happened on this revival right here was this full inclusion of people from all over the world getting brought in to this uh, to this um, to this meeting and uh, to this um, to this revival, this all inclusive thing that God was bringing all these nations together, having a a blessing on all these different nations. And so it was very interesting that um, that God did this on this certain day. Um, and it's significant because it wasn't like scattered, like kind of like vaguely, like oh, one happened like in August and one happened in December, and it just happened this year. But no, it happened like very close to this date. All these different revivals that were occurring across the world. So I thought that was really cool. Um, 
But one of the things that made the uh, the prayer meetings in America very significant is one, of course, you had the recession that occurred just three weeks after, and um, and of course, if you didn't have this revival occurring at the same time, then you know there'd be a lot of you know you you could imagine how much worse things could have been for people with just despondency and lack of hope and um, no way to cope with it. And, but God was taking, um, God was kind of taking preemptive action saying, no, I've, I've got a plan. I've got a solution before the problem even comes, before the problem even hits. Um, you can just see divine providence all over that. But then also, of course, we have the civil war happen. And, you know, when you pray, when you're talking to God about things, you're, you're not just praying just to pray, and you're not just praying even just to have fellowship with Him. The Bible talks about how we can be praying out mysteries in, in, you know, in the Spirit, and we can be praying and getting things happening um, in the supernatural realm without us even really realizing what we're praying for. And uh, I heard somebody comment on this that, you know, it might have been a way that we could have gotten Abraham Lincoln as our president for um, for the Civil War. Because without his leadership, I mean, he just, um, he did a lot of good for making sure that the Civil War, you know, it, it, he oversaw what happened in the Civil War very well. He led the North to victory, and then we didn't end up splitting. You know, what? think of what could have happened if the Civil War went the other way around and the South won. We'd have a divided state. We, we, we wouldn't really be the United States. We would be a divided nation. And, um, and of course, there's always people who disagree. You have disagreements going on right now. I'm not saying there isn't division in certain ways today, but, you know, that would be a very literal division of, uh, of a geopolitical border where slavery is okay down here and not okay up here. But even in the North, they were allowing some things because they just had all this pressure from the South. And um, you have the, uh, like you have the, uh, the court case of Dred Scott, and you had the whole situation with him, where they were, excuse me, trying to figure out whether they were supposed to let him go free or have him go back to the the slave master that he had, um, and so it, it was they were trying, so they ended up like trying to honor the the, the ownership that the slave owners, you know, claimed they had. Um, and it was just a mess. But uh, I believe that what happened here with the the prayer meetings is that some things got straightened out. That tends to happen too when you when you just pray. I notice things just get straightened out for me when I just make time. And we get so busy. And I think that was also a significant thing that this was a businessman's prayer meeting. This was like focused towards men who were busy all the time. From 12 o'clock to 1 though, they made time. They disciplined themselves to get to this prayer meeting. But it wasn't just a discipline. They were hungry for it. They wanted this. And uh, that hunger ignited in the rest of the nation, too. And so when you're hungry for the things of God, when you're hungry to see God move, but you feel like you're busy, you're so busy, think of this prayer meeting. Think of this um, this revival that occurred at this time. And know, um, guess what? I, and I'm guilty of this as well. We, we've got so many distractions, too. It's not just that we're busy. It's that we're distracted. There's a lot of things going on around us that just make it 
hard to focus. But God has a way for us to press into him and get things straightened out in our lives if we will just get our eyes off of the different things on the side, if we would take a break from all of the stuff and the projects and the business things and the yada, yada, yada going on in our lives. It's important stuff, but God has the most important thing for us to do, and that is to talk to him. That is to pray. That's to get quiet, get in his presence, and listen to him. Ask, ask of him things, and then listen to what he says. And it's so simplistic, but God just has a way of breathing on these spiritual activities that he inspires and then just makes them so much more than we could try to manufacture. I, I, know, I know that there's revival that you know people try to manufacture, that there's gimmicky stuff that gets done and all in the name of, all in, you know, good, all having good intentions. But when, when God's not on it, when God's not breathing on it, then it just falls flat. It becomes a man-made thing, and it doesn't really do any good. But when God breathes on it, it's good, and you know it's God, and it's unquestionable, undeniable, and if you're somebody who tries to naysay it or get all skeptical about it, then everybody's kind of on to you, like, no, this is from God. This is, duh. That's kind of how I feel about the Asbury Revival. It's like, no, duh, this is from God. It, I don't know what else this would be. Nobody really manufactured this. This is real. And this, this revival is real. The Asbury revival is real. We're in the middle of revival, I believe. It's super cool. Um, and then just some closing remarks um, as to what this led to. Now, a lot of different name, uh, big-name preachers that we know about today came from uh, and got inspired by this prayer meeting as well. Um, Two names that I came across, and there are many more, but uh, two of them that I came across were uh, Dwight L. Moody, which um, he has like a whole publishing uh, company, and he has you know his church that and mis- um, ministry that he has up in uh, Chicago, the Illinois area. Uh, he had his start when he was so these prayer meetings um, when uh, they really just blew up and got everywhere. And uh, there was a church out in Chicago that, you know, had the same thing. Thousands of people trying to get in and, you know, everybody wanting to get in, you know, the prayer request or get in to speak at these prayer meetings. Everyone only had five minutes, but um, that and that was still like there were too many people trying to fill these slots. They had they had a backed up list of people for for like months to to try and get all these people to be able to speak. And so he gets uh, Dwight. Uh, D.L. Moody or Dwight L. Moody gets there and he's younger and he wants to be able to speak and they're like, well, the, the wait list is super long. I don't know if you'll be able to get on it. He's like, yeah, I don't, uh, well, what am I supposed to do? And somebody tells him like, well, you're here in the city. Go, you know, go, he had this thing burning on the inside of him to go preach the gospel to be, a, you know, a testimony to people. And they're like, well, you're in the city. There's people to talk to. Go, go find some people who, who need Jesus. Basically, uh, I'm definitely paraphrasing that, but um, but he finds people. He was very well known for reaching the younger generation. He was uh, for reaching people like 12, 13, 14. And back then, of course, the industrial age is known for having, you know, like really young boys, like young men, super young working in factories and stuff. And so you had young boys kind of 
already hardened and toughened like men already at this age. So, you know, they would curse and swear and stuff and probably were smoking and drinking or something, you know, doing stuff like that. Um, but Dwight L. Moody had a heart for these boys and was reaching out to them. And through this, he was able to minister to them and um, he had a ministry to, to the young men of, of the area and across the world. Um, and there's more about him, but I didn't have time to get, get into him. Uh, another person, and this was also kind of a big thing for women's rights, because I mentioned a little bit previously uh, about Charles Finney and about the ministry work that he had. He was really a big uh, proponent, a big promoter of, you know, having women, giving women a place to speak in ministry, because there was a lot of um, uh, people didn't really people thought, you know, women should not get up and speak in, in church. There's a lot of people who still think that, that women should not get up and preach in church. But um, Charles Finney kind of broke that stereotype. He broke that stigma. And, you know, all three of, you know, he had, he was, he's been married three times. So he was married, she died, married again, and she died, then married one more time. And all three of them were big, um, were big pieces of his ministry. They they did a lot of speaking um, in these main meetings. They spoke uh, to the women themselves. They they spoke and ministered to women themselves. Um, so that was that was uh, Charles Finney's wives. Um, but then you also had so out of the prayer meeting, the nineteen or excuse me, the eighteen fifty seven prayer meeting, you had people like uh, Maria Woodworth Eder. And she was somebody who inspired and was part of what became the kind of Pentecostal holiness move uh, or the, the holiness church where there was more of a push for, you know, living right. And that that was a work of the, the Holy Spirit. You know, he's the Holy Spirit. So you ought to have a holy living lifestyle that accompanies, you know, having him on the inside. Right. So they firmly believed, believed this and pushed for this uh, and promoted this. And but she was one of the big voices in this movement, uh, and her along with a lot of other women voices as well. And, um, she has a great story in and of itself. Um, I have to finish that biography. Uh, I'm compiling a list of books that I need to be reading this year. And, uh, I think I'll, I'll try to get back into her, uh, biography there. But, um, she has a, she has a big role in pushing forward in revival and, um, reaching the lost and the miraculous. She had the miraculous going on in her ministry as well. It wasn't just preaching and just telling people about Jesus. There was big miracles that occurred in her meetings. Um, and there were other women like her who had similar things going on. Uh, later on, there was Amy Semple McPherson, who we'll probably talk a little bit more about when we talk about the um, the Pentecostal outpouring or um, the... Uh, the Azusa Street Revival was the the main uh, event that you can kind of pinpoint all of the Pentecostal movement to. Everyone has roots within that, and but Maria Woodworth Eder was a big uh, mother in the faith that helped develop and uh, guide the way to get to this moment in history, the the Pentecostal um, revival, uh, the Pentecostal move of of the early twentieth century. Um, so. Yeah, it, lots of big stuff happened from just this this one year event that occurred. This one year prayer revival, it really had a a big impact on the nation. It had a big impact on the world, and it really had a um, 
a big guiding it was a big guiding force in um in the church and really put us on course for what was to come in the next century and i believe is still uh, you know the prayers from it are still guiding what is going on in our nation today and i believe we're seeing sort of a a push for this kind of revival again a prayer revival a revival of just being in his presence and um and just putting everything aside and coming to him in prayer but anyway um that's it about about the 1987 excuse me the 1857 revival um of New York City and Jeremiah Lampier Lampier and um yeah I think next week I'll either be talking about the uh Pentecostal movement um of the 20th early 20 early 20th century or I'll be talking about the Jesus movement because uh the Jesus um the Jesus Revolution movie's out. Uh, I don't know if you knew that. It's in theaters, and I want to go see it, and I'm talking about revival, and I'm like, oh, I really want to cover that revival. It's a really, really powerful and one of the most recent ones that has happened in American history, and I uh, I have this hoodie that I'm wearing. And, um, but yeah, so I'll either talk about the Jesus Revolution next week and just kind of dive, you know, jump forward in the timeline and then come back to the Pentecostal movement or I'll just keep going down the timeline and get to Pente- and get to Jesus Re- revolution when I can. So um, stay tuned for that. Um, don't don't forget to tune in. Uh, this video is probably going to go out by tomorrow on Saturday. So I'm posting, but also uh, Ryan is going to have her podcast do tell coming out Saturday, tomorrow, so don't miss that either. Um, I just love how she lays things out, too. It's very easy to listen to. I like how how that flows. So her stuff has been good lately. And Jordan is going to have his next post on Sunday. I think I read that post, right? Sunday or Monday. So don't miss that either. It's going to be really good. He's getting back in the swing of things. He's been... Um, getting getting acquainted with his new daughter and uh just helping out at the house and uh so i have yet to meet her so we're gonna i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to go meet her but um because i'm so excited uh about about his daughter so anyway that's it thank you all so much for tuning in today i hope you guys got something out of that i hope you guys you know had fun with that and if you know somebody who's into this kind of stuff about you know um american history church history revival history uh, i know there's a really big um there's there's more of a hunger for this because of what's going on at asbury and i just wanted to take advantage of that if there's somebody that you know who could use some knowledge about this and you think this would be good to send to them go for it share this video like comment on it let us know you're listening and let us know what you think let us know if you have questions in the comments we'd love to hear your questions um we might have to do a question and answer thing if we if we get enough questions to on our um on our t2 mug hour that's coming up soon we'll let you know when that's happening um and yeah i think that's it so thanks for tuning in guys you guys have a blessed week have a good weekend and i'll see you next friday Bye bye